Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Spanners Ready, and I'm joined by Matt Two Rumpets. How's it going, Matt? Oh, it's going great. How's your day? Yeah, I'm feeling a little bit reflective today as we look back. The drive title has been decided, but there's actually loads still to play for this season. It's not the dead rubber we've had in some previous years when the title's been wrapped up early. Yes, well, if nothing else, there's the amazing saga of will Brendan Hartley get to keep his Toro Rosso drive to keep us entertained to the very end? Is that still a thing? Uh, uh, Who knows? Does it matter, really? Nope. We are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. We're also joined by race analyst Alex Jeansy Van Jean. How's it going, Alex? Going all well, Spanners. It's weird to be here when a race hasn't happened, but I am now can just give you my opinion rather than actually talk about facts. No, I'm going to tell the truth to the listeners. He doesn't want to come on normally when it's not a race review because he thinks, oh, what would I know? I don't read auto und sport and uh keep up with like reddit posts uh, but it is good to hear your opinions on a non-race weekend i must say though alex you are looking like half the man your face is all skinny where's the cute chubby face uh it's all gone with all the running i'm doing so um yeah losing weight and um we'll see if it works racing when i race next weekend we'll talk about that more later but first we've got a lot of big dirty news to discuss big dirty news Okay, we've had a week for the title to settle in. Lewis Hamilton wins the title. How hard has he had to fight for this year's title? I want to speak to you, Jeansy. I'm glad you're on this week because you talk to us a lot about the racing. And you and um, Bradley Philpot actually often disagree. And you're the two guys who know more about the wheel-to-wheel. But I want to ask you, 
Do you think that this year has been his toughest wheel-to-wheel battle, title-wise? Wheel-to-wheel. Um, so we've seen a lot of it. Every single time he's come wheel-to-wheel, he's come out on top. I actually don't think there's been a single instance this year where he's not come out on top. And crucially, against Seb Vettel, um, uh, Russia and Monza come out. What about in Spa-Francorchamps, where there was two opportunities for Hamilton under safety cars and at the race start, and it did seem like Vettel kind of outfoxed him a bit? Well, the start, he got out-dragged down the straight, and it was four into one, and I wouldn't have taken the risk going into there. If it was race two or three, I think we might have seen something different. But the start of the second part of the season, I think he was well worth going for it. And then after the safety car... I think he caught himself out a little bit. I think he got too much of a run. I think Vettel, I do think Vettel may have got him there, but that wasn't a real wheel-to-wheel moment because the race kind of hadn't started yet um, under the safety car. I think he. I think that was more a Hamilton error. Right. I think that's the only one we can actually talk of this year rather than a wheel-to-wheel loss. So he was going for it into the bus stop and a lot of us didn't realise that you could actually overtake uh, at that point. So he was racing early and he cost himself then going down into turn one, two and uh, out into Eau Rouge. Um, but Ray Thompson in the chat, I think, has said, oh no, it's uh, Sam- Samathos has said, in Austria, Vettel overtook Hamilton. He did. But if you notice on that one, Lewis had nightmare with his tyres, had no grip, lost loads of time on that one particular lap and then just got dragged. Every time Vettel's got him, it's been through dra- out dragging him. There's never been any proper actual being in the same window of tyres and part of the race as each other. Whenever it's been that situation, it's been the other way around. Yeah, so I mean, so we're looking to things like Lewis Hamilton on the outside of uh, the second set of chicanes in Monza, for example, where he, you know, he went down the outside and put himself in a position really where he looked the most uncomfortable out of the two. What's the difference there between those two guys? If we'd have swapped it, would we have seen Vettel managing to pull that off? Or is there something inherent in what they're doing? I think by that point, especially after qualifying for Monza, I think he very much had Seb rattled. And I think it's been proven this season, Seb is very susceptible when he's rattled. So Lewis knows he can stick it around the outside and Vettel is likely to make the error or not get the job done. Um, And I think that was just the case of it. Let's go to trumpets then. Dude, what if this yeah. had been in like 2011 where Lewis Hamilton was hitting everyone? It's taken a bit of a metamorphosis in Lewis as a top flight F1 driver to be able to pull this season off. 2011 Lewis Hamilton probably wouldn't have been able to do it. No, I don't think there's any way a younger Hamilton would have pulled this off. Uh, it's The car has been fairly non-dominant. Uh, if we look at Ferrari, it's, it's been it's been pretty even, Stephen. When they've had a good car, it's it's been very good. But there have been plenty of races where they haven't had the good car. And Lewis has pulled the results. And uh, that's one of the biggest differences but, yeah, between him and, and Vettel is that he's gotten the job done when he hasn't had 100% machinery behind him. All right, then answer Daniel Gout, who says, did Hamilton win it or did Vettel lose it now before you answer just bear in mind i upset a lot of people last week talking about uh, sebastian vettel and we will address that but which way do you put it do you think Vettel lost it or do you think hamilton won it i think ferrari lost it um (laughs) with their update in singapore 
Uh, in other words, their update put them so far behind. And you can go look at the qualifying differentials if you don't believe me. They lost as many points from being slow those couple of races as they did uh, from pretty much all of Vettel's errors. Um, mostly the one, and and was it uh, Hockenheim that did him in where he crashed leading? That one's on Vettel, but the rest I think is on Ferrari. I think it's I think it's uh, split three ways between Ferrari, just like Matt said. Vettel he made far too many errors. Someone fighting for the title especially for number five, shouldn't make as many mistakes as he did. And as you guys said before, Lewis getting the wins that he probably shouldn't have got, like in Germany, um, are the ones that won it for Lewis. So it is a three-way split. Um, you can, I think, write a book on all three reasons, of, on all three parties, uh, as to why they won or lost that championship. It's It's been fascinating, hasn't it? And obviously, Sebastian Vettel has come under a lot of criticism. But yet you can't, you can't ignore what you alluded to, Alex, which is we're talking about the odd mistake, aren't we? So th- just that raw consistency, people seem to forget that that in any sport, mistakes is part of, of what you do. So, for example, somebody doing a long jump, if they do less fouls and less putting their toe on the little clay thing, they're going to do better. So there's this assumption that, that I don't know, somehow like the drivers are going to be perfect and Hamilton's only won it because Vettel has made mistakes. Surely the fact that Hamilton hasn't made mistakes is an absolutely extraordinary achievement. <laughs> Sorry, right, normally I, I wouldn't... Need, I, need, I, I need to get my Bluetooth... <laughs> my Bluetooth mouse has gone missing. So normally I wouldn't address this, but uh, uh, any pause you might have heard is brought to you by this week's episode of Jeansy Presses Buttons. Uh, sorry, please do continue. <laughs> <laughs> um... When you talk about mistakes that Seb's made um, that were crucial, which I'm not talking about while having a fight running a little bit wide and losing a bit of time. The mistakes he's made has been race-critical mistakes. So we've got France, where he punts off Bottas. We've got Monza, where he spins himself off. We've got um, USA, where he gives himself a penalty. So he's not starting on the front row of the grid. Um, I'm missing one. Matt's trying to get in. No, I was going to ask, have, have you totaled the points there? I mean, the crashing out of the race, that's 25. But otherwise, even coming from the back, the differences between finishing, what, maybe second or third and fifth, it's really not as huge a loss of points because of the dominant Monza? nature of those two cars. Where did he finish in Monza? Fifth, sixth? Should have won that race? Where did he finish in USA? Fourth? Should have won that race? Okay. you know, so He's thrown away a lot of big wins um and lewis hasn't lewis hasn't apart from actually the couple we mentioned at the top of the show lewis hasn't made any and that's the key fight to winning a championship so i would say that if you talk about this in golf terms the argument sounds a little bit ridiculous because the aim of golf is every time you have a putt is to put it in and if a guy is putting the ball really well and doing a putt shot i don't know the golf terms and then the other guy comes along who's competing with him and keeps missing the putt, you say, well, that guy who did all the putt shots, he he didn't win it. The guy lost it by not making his putt shots. There was a two-way and early on a three-way scrap for the title. And at the end of the day, Lewis Hamilton made all the shots he needed to make, swish all net. It's like Mexico. You know, Lewis could have led into turn one if he wanted to, but he didn't take the risk. Well, I take the risk, doesn't need to. I think Vettel would have got hit by Max at that point. All right. So we talked about Lewis Hamilton. Let's talk about 
Sebastian Vettel and how I upset everybody last week. You think that uh, the Vettel fans are generally quite quiet, but they were quite vocal to me. I got um, a lot of uh, flack for when I said that the four world championships that Sebastian Vettel has flatters him. Now, let's put this in context because people got upset. Maybe you weren't listening because Matt spoke for an awfully long time before I made that comment. But Matt was giving a very technical explanation about how the Ferrari was driving and about some aero holes and making a lot of technical excuses for Sebastian Vettel. And I thought it would be funny to do the Indiana Jones version of that, where I basically pull out my gun to the sword fight guy and just shoot him by saying, nah, he's not very good. So yes, it was a little glib, and I apologise for all the people who were triggered by that. However, my general point that four World Drivers' Championships flattered Sebastian Vettel, I think, stands up. Because the the four World Drivers' Championships he has puts him in the top five genesy of all drivers of all time. Now, I put a poll up on Twitter, very scientific, and for once I didn't weigh the poll options. I, I made them reasonably fair. And 69 people, 69% of people, said four World Driver Championships flatters him because he is not in their top five. 13% said, no, he is in their top five of all time. And 13% clicked the option, which was, I don't know, but I like polls. So, Jeansy, is he in your top five? No. Good. Um, Trumpets. He's, he's probably <laughs> sick. He's probably sick, though. You reckon? Because yeah, he is a world-class quality driver. You can't say he isn't. You can't win four world titles if you're not because if he if he wasn't a world qua- world class quality driver mark weber would probably have maybe one maybe two world championships see trumpets um, trumpets it does weigh heavily on what you think of mark weber doesn't it yeah yeah it does it, it's 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 depressing if you were a mark weber fan considering he uh, up until korea he had almost won one of those championships that that'll eventually uh walked off with and if you're an Alonso fan, you also, to this day, rue the entry of Petrov into the sport because there was another one that Vettel wound up with that, by all rights, looked like it belonged to Alonso up until that fateful pit stop where the strategist forgot there was such a thing as a pit window that you might want to consider with an obstinate Russian in a French car. Someone in the chat room says, got to disagree with you there, Spanners. That's okay. That's what we do here. You don't need to leave me seven messages on the YouTube. Just saying. Got to disagree with you there, Spanners. Those championships were more hard fought than Hamilton's. Let's not forget that Weber never finished second in the championship. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, that's true. Even in 2013, didn't he overtake Lewis Hamilton? Oh, I thought Weber finished second in 2013. So, So correct me if I'm wrong. But essentially, 2013... Vettel disappeared unchallenged. Uh, in 2011, he disappeared unchallenged and Jensen Button in the McLaren was actually second, but a long, long way behind. But when you look at Lewis Hamilton's championships, he he has beaten a, a, a world champion in every one of those championships, has he not? You know, 2008, he fought... Oh, no, sorry. Well, he, he fought and defeated Raikkonen, didn't he? Uh, you mean like in terms of his teammates or just there was a world champion on the grid? No, just in that title fight. And he had to beat those Ferraris. He had to beat Raikkonen and Massa in those Ferraris. And then he had to beat Rosberg, who eventually won a championship. So that's a bit cheeky. But then he's had to face Vettel in near and competitive machinery. Surely Hamilton's five championships are as competitive as any championships that have been won out there. They're not only 
competitive and we can we could drill down and nail reasons why one driver should or should or should have not have won a particular good let's do that i'm personally of the opinion there's a heck of a lot more championships that lewis actually could have won that other drivers have won because of other circumstances 2016 um you know there's plenty of ones i mean 2012 he should have won in 2012 he had three major failures from race winning positions in the final five races yeah people forget about that one you know he would have won that championship so he should be on six or maybe even (laughs) touching the untouchable um but it's so difficult you know if you win it they always all the all the drivers say if you win a world championship you deserve it no matter how it comes um but when you look at it when you look at the the ability that Lewis has and what Lewis has done throughout his 10 year, uh, 11 years in the sport. I think the guy deserves five world titles. Doesn't matter what year they came in. Yes. But my, my point overall was that unless you put Sebastian Vettel in the top five drivers of all time, then obviously being in the top five of the world drivers championship, therefore logically flattered him. Uh, but I didn't at any point say that Sebastian Vettel didn't deserve his four world driver championships. He fought and won in those years. That, that, that's, that's, that's not, that's not what I was saying. So, uh, don't mind people arguing with me at all. So, uh, bring that debate on. Let's talk about who we do think are our top five drivers. Matt, do you have a top all time five drivers? Well, fortunately for me, about seven minutes ago, I actually looked down the page. <laughs> So I do now have a list of my Good. top five drivers. Give them to me. Ascari. Okay. And when when were his uh, championship winning seasons? Oh, he was he was he was the person. Uh, he and Fangio went at it. So we're talking early days. I'm glad early. you've said that because I am going to argue this in just a moment. Yes, I know you are. Um, uh, Hamilton, of course. Second. No, I haven't ranked them numerically. I just have a list of my top five drivers. Fine. I suppose technically that is keeping within the brief. Uh, Clark, Surtees, and there I'm going to go for him because he also won motorcycle championships and a Formula One championship in 64. Which will, and then I'm, glad, the, I'm so glad you mentioned Surtees because Surtees proves my later point. Okay, good. I, I'm sure that it does. And uh, Senna, of course, because how could you not? So you've only got one driver from this century in your top five of all time? Uh, yeah, that would be correct. Hmm. Okay, we'll come to Alex's top five in just a minute. But I don't think... Oh, here we go. SpannersReady at gmail.com, all right? Or at SpannersReady on Twitter, or at MattPT55, if you think he's absolutely bonkers. I don't think you can include Fangio or Ascari in your top five of all time. Now, people will say... You can't compare them across the decades because the machinery was so different. So let's bring this argument in a little bit. I will grant Fangio and Ascari the ability to drive modern Formula One cars as well as they can drive the F1 cars of their period. And Alex, I put it to you that because there's less competition and they weren't fighting their way through ranks and ranks of young go-karters, the amount we have today, that those guys were unlikely statistically to have made it in F1 today. It's really funny. I was listening to an interview with Jackie Stewart and Jackie Stewart banged on about how good Fangio was. And I'm just like, 
he was 36 when he started and i just don't believe that anyone who gets into that kind who gets into a sport at that time in their life can really be considered the greatest and and be that good i think the issue with fangio is i'm not denying he wasn't a great racing driver of the period but i think you put him in a car against anyone on the grid put him against stroll i think stroll would destroy him um and that's me talking nicely about stroll and we all know how i feel about him um but i just don't think it's the same sport as it was then it was a rich boys club back then you know just high-flying people who used to get involved in a sport and i don't think that someone like that would hold up today at the height of his powers then so fangio started out as a garage mechanic in argentina so um yeah like like he he was racing for a long long time he came to formula one late but he was hardly uh he was hardly a newcomer to motorsports and racing okay well in that case let's let's chuck mark preston in in a ferrari and see how he does i mean the hair wouldn't fit in the helmet so we know that's you know not technically possible but do continue yeah no i mean uh, first of all the modern formula one as a sport hadn't existed like you're you were when it was invented you're not going to have teenagers coming up in it but fangio um started out and he could do most of the engineering on his own car which you would have to admit most drivers today wouldn't be capable of although there are a couple who do have those skills and qualifications. But I think, uh, I just, I like the way Ascari drove better. And I think he had more talent. He was faster. In fact, uh, Mike Hawthorne, uh, the first champion from Britain, said that he thought Ascari was faster than Fangio. And frankly, that's good enough for me because if there's anyone who was an expert and he raced against them and who would know, it would be him. So yeah, I will, I will give him that. And in that era in those cars, which are decidedly different than today's cars, yeah, I think he deserves a nod because this was when the sport was in its very infancy. So sure. That's on my list. Are you giving him a nod or are you saying he was in the top five best drivers of all time? I'm saying he's in the top five because the sport was being invented as they went. And again, to win a world championship means you deserve it. So there. <laughs> fair, fair enough. You highlighted John Surtees, for example, who was able to win championships mm-hmm. in Formula One and motorcycling yeah motor bicycling i I assume it's called i don't know anything about motorcycling it's witchcraft and weird Uh, but you would be less likely to be able to do that today because the of the amount of specialization it is required that is required to be able to compete that competitively in both sports surely the fact that you have somebody winning both those championships in that era proves that it was easier not not easier as in on track in the moment but as in easier over the form of a career to pick up those titles you could make that argument if anyone had ever done it ever except for him but only he had done it so i think that means that perhaps he was just that good and he would have done that today and been able to do that today um i have no idea because of course he's not racing today he raced back then i think the big argument with this this discussion is sports people only get better over the generations. You know, you look at football players, you put um, Pele against anyone in the premiership or anyone in the championship, and he wouldn't get in the team because the way that sports people have progressed 
throughout the years with fitness and training and all these different things um, means we have elite athletes performing. They weren't elite elite athletes back in those days. You know, I have, I mean, listen, I have no idea what what went on in in those days. It's not something I really follow, but I just don't think it's possible for anyone who was racing in the 50s to be anywhere near as good as anybody who's racing now. Chat room is very, very passionate. I will say this is not anti-Fangio. This is not anti-Ascari in any way, shape or form. Not at all. I have complete and utter respect for everything Fangio and everything anyone in the 50s, 60s and 70s achieved. Yeah, absolutely mental. Massive respect. We're just talking about, you know, for my mind, it's how would they compare against modern drivers. And Matt, to me, the standard now is so high and it's so competitive that those guys who founded the sport just wouldn't get a look in. I think that you both may be mistaking advances in training for actual talent. Nah, nah. And I, nah. I would disagree. I think if you took a driver who won in that era and started him out at the age drivers start out and had them on the same training program, I think they'd be entirely competitive. Nah, not at all. But it's it's, a, it's, it's I, just I, the simple fact is that if you roll a six-sided dice, you have a one in six chance of rolling a six. If you roll a thousand-sided uh, dice you have a, a, a one in a thousand chance of rolling a six it's just a bigger pool so when you have a bigger pool it's more competitive that's that is just statistics it's only competitive if the people at the bottom end of your pool are more competitive otherwise you've just trapped off the people who were never going to be that good anyway and this is the argument first of two arguments i would make the second argument i would make is quite simply the population back then was not the population as now. Have we adjusted this per capita? No, it's not worth doing per capita. It's per people participating in active competitive motorsport. Yeah, but that's got to be relative to the overall population. Otherwise, uh, the comparison is invalid. No, no, because that's just that's not that's just technically incorrect. That's sure. <laughs> no, obviously, a higher percentage of people are now able to participate in motorsport. So it's more competitive. But Gene Z brought a, a, a great point in, which is that the age of the drivers and therefore, by implication, the physicality of the drivers was different. It's it's almost unfair to compare anybody before the Schumacher period, isn't it, Gene Z, uh, to the modern drivers? Because Schumacher kickstarted this real arms race where the guys had to be super fit to be competitive. For me, that's why Schumacher is one of the greats. Forget his stats, but I think the thing that Schumacher did, Schumacher fundamentally changed the sport by because I think he used to take a gym with him to some of the races where he could put the temperature in his gym to, to the temperature that the race would be at so he could perform that. That's why we talk about now when Schumacher used to go off and do quali laps because he was able to, because he was fit enough, not because he was talented enough and skilled enough too. I think the other drivers were all skilled enough to do qualifying laps. We see them do qualifying. It's the amount of time they are able to do qualifying laps. Or when you try and put in those really, really hard, hard laps, it takes a lot out of you. And to keep that going for a long period of time is very tough. And no one could match Schumacher on that. That's why Schumacher is as good and in the absolute great category. Will McAlpine in the chat room says, you can only compare drivers in individual decades, in my opinion. Now, I would argue 
Will, and welcome to the chat room, that that is a chat room foul because that is the equivalent of saying racing incident, isn't it? If we turn around and say you can't compare drivers from different eras, then that kills the debate dead. Yet it's a debate that people do have all across the internet. So yeah, it's, it's worth having. It's interesting to see how the sport has, has evolved. Personally, I don't look a lot further back than Prost Senna when I'm thinking about modern drivers. So when I think of my top five, I am thinking from... Well, my lifetime, which is reasonable. And I'm 38. I'm no spring chicken. And I do notice, Alex, that your top five is all from that era. Perhaps when I post these debates and these polls, I should say, who is your top five drivers this century or since 1990, something like that? Uh, and, and then put Sebastian Vettel's four World Drivers Championships in that context where he's top four. I've said a lot of things, Gene Z. What I'm after is your top five. So my top five is probably in the course of some controversy, but starting with number five is Alain Prost. Alain Prost raced with Ayrton Senna and won championships off of Ayrton Senna and didn't make mistakes, didn't crash, didn't break the car, didn't have any issues. They called him the professor for a reason. Um, So that puts Prost at number five for me. Number four, going to get some flack for this one, but is Michael Schumacher for the reasons I said before. He's he is a great in the sport, but I think uh, if you look at the seasons that he was winning his championships, look at the field, go and look through the drivers that are in those five six years where he dominated. Have a look at them, and I really believe you'll go and look at them and go. Actually, he didn't race the best amount of people, <laughs> and the guys that were great, the Montoyas, the Raikkonens, didn't have equipment to go after him. Which season was it where Raikkonen had a really fast car, but it blew up every race? Uh, yeah, um, I mean you're describing you're describing a lot of the late '90s Ferraris there. So yeah, of course. But, but that's what I mean. So if he'd had competition with ability and cars, <laughs> it might still be three or four championships, but maybe not the five or seven that he now has. Alex, I'll get to Schumacher in just a second, but Othnell makes a great point in the chat room. To the people who are complaining that we shouldn't be making these comparisons, he says it's okay to compare drivers until Hamilton puts his name in the hat. I think that that is a reasonable point because people have always been happy to talk about Fangio as one of the greats, talk about Senna being one of the greats. But when you talk about is Hamilton the greatest of all time, a lot of times you're greeted with, well, it's not worth comparing over the years. So I think that's a reasonable point there from Arthnell. When we go to Michael Schumacher, uh, am I older than you, Gene Z? I'm not sure. Similar age, you're like 34. Don't nod so viciously. You're 34. So it's not that much older. You're like five years older. But I was uh, very much an alert and woke teen, if you like, when Michael Schumacher just blatantly turned in and wiped out Damon Hill on purpose in my eyes. And at the time, it wasn't that sure. It wasn't that obvious, but he took out Damon Hill's wishbone. Both cars didn't finish. Michael Schumacher took the championship. A couple of years later, he tried to do the exact same move again. And that kind of highlighted, oh, no, no, now it's kind of obvious that he did that on purpose. He got disqualified from that championship but to my eyes Gene T like I mean really he should have been disqualified from that championship with Damon Hill as well which kind of taints it and he does have a reputation for for being a little bit uh, what do you call it I don't want to say I don't want to say the c word but he did have a reputation for really pushing things to the limit and uh, Jack Villeneuve, who I really agree with when it suits me, uh, did say that <laughs> perhaps some of his titles are tainted by that attitude Totally. 
he would be probably two spots higher up in my list if it wasn't for those i'll say the c word controversial moments oh right because... i thought you were gonna say cheat <laughs> <laughs> no i'll say controversial I'm okay um anyway um yeah so that's what costs it for schumacher for me he did some fantastic things but that is a complete chink in his yeah in his uh legacy because doesn't matter no you can't mention schumacher without mentioning those things but if i can finish my top five not yet i want to clarify because my sort of general fanboyism from that hill era made me want to remove michael schumacher altogether from the top five and if you'd have asked me this two weeks ago schumacher would not have been in my top five but i did have to kind of go back and look at what he did in the sport and he is now in my top five not not at the top of my top five uh but anyway carry on with your top five so this is not he doesn't get mentioned that much in these sorts of things but i've read a lot about this guy and i've listened to a lot of what this guy does and i think jackie stewart's by number three um i think the guy was just exceptional in every single series that he did he raced all across the world doing all sorts of different racing as we went along he was in the era where all his friends died um and he beat the likes of jim clark he beat um the likes of the best guys in the in in the world at the time um and he did it with no controversy no issues no errors and that puts him in such a high level of greatness i'm a massive fanboy too and i met him and i got really excited when i met him but i do think he is definitely up there in my top three and then and then you've got hamilton as your number one and senna as your number two this year I genuinely put Lewis as number one and there's reasons for it. So you talk about absolute outright speed. Well, he's got his pole positions and Senna was the man at that. And I think he's beaten Senna. Yes. Senna died prematurely and probably would have had more, but would he have had more than what Lewis has done? And can anyone really doubt Lewis's out and out one lap speed? He's got the consistency of the Prost of the Jackie Stewart, the guys who don't make mistakes, don't do lots of city crashes excluding 2011 and then you've got the work ethic and what he puts in and his fitness and he's always talking about how fit he is and all the things that he does and that's the schumacher in him so i think he's got the elements of all the other guys in the top five in my top five at least and to be fair looking at your top fives as well he's got all those elements which means he has to be the best surely cool and i will God, we're going to get accused of being so hamfosy, aren't we? Right, my top five, quickly, just for the record, and you can argue with me uh, later because we've got some news coming up, uh, is Hamilton, Senna, Alonso. Can't believe Alonso didn't make your guys' lists. Just a fantastic racer. That dude came in and was a phenomenon. He was a whirlwind in Formula One, whether or not he's only got two titles. He was brilliant, and the year he beat Schumacher was an amazing thing to witness. But over the course of a whole career... I don't think you could say he equaled Hamilton or, you know, possibly even even Vettel. You could you could say he had more potential and more talent. But if you look at his actual career, yeah, he's also made some mistakes that Hamilton hasn't. If you look at what I just said about what made Lewis the best, judge Fernando in all those cases, and you wouldn't put him at the top of any of those lists. He is a phenomenal racing driver absolutely phenomenal and you can't take it away from him but he hasn't done that consistently over his whole career he's had good performances but he's not up there in the top five he's probably 
sixth or seventh. The chat room is amazing. We haven't brought up Nikki Lauda at all as someone to consider. Okay. I am not convinced. Oh, man, I don't want to. No, I'm not touching this one. I'm going to come back to the... Let's let's talk about the Lauda era as a separate segment over the winter because it was a, a strange and fascinating era. But no, I, I am not ranking Nicky Lauda in my top five. And I wonder how many people do list him in his top five. And that is a short, a short list to be in. It is an exclusive list to be in. I think if we're going to have this chat again over the winter, which would be a great idea, we need to set the criteria, I think. So... You know, career skills, as you guys pointed out with Alonso, is a big one. How do you navigate your career? There's a reason that that's part of all the Formula One games is like negotiating your contract and picking which team to be with. Raw pace is one. Racing, wheel-to-wheel ability. And I think, I think the key one, when I am assessing who is in my top five, I'm talking about who would win one-on-one. You put those two guys in the same team uh, right at the front of the grid which one of those guys comes out world champion. And when I think of Fangio with talent adjusted, uh, sorry, uh, with ability and technical ability adjusted so he can drive an F1 car in the modern day, I think statistically he's not going to stand a chance against Lewis Hamilton. So that doesn't do down his achievements in the day because those those boys were mental. But what it does say is he wouldn't be an all-time top five driver. And that's what we're talking about here. So we'll revisit this. We absolutely will. But not before we catch up with our good friend, Matt Trumpet, for whom none of this would be possible without. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction. And free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Matt Trumpets, the stalwart of Missed Apex podcast. You look like you should be a smelly man, but having embraced you and sniffed you, you are fragrant as a spring day in Lancashire. And I am excited about what you're up to because eRadio Show has just relaunched proper. 
Yes, we've had testing. Uh, Stevens has actually gone and looked at the cars. We have some good information, and we have a show coming out this week, in fact. I think it will drop. Uh, it's just been edited, and we have a plan for uh, sort of semi-regular shows up until the season proper is underway. But it's very exciting, especially because I got to go see the race last year uh, in Brooklyn and cover it. So it's uh, it's a little different thing for me to do, a little different way to cover it, being there in person. But there's a lot of very exciting things going on right now in Formula E and a lot of very, very, very good drivers and very competitive teams. Awesome. And what are you up to on online? Are you still pushing your wife's books? Is she still active in that realm? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. In fact, um, she's got a three book deal with uh, Karina Press. And I don't know the publication schedule offhand, but she's actually sat out in the other room right now working on book number three. Book number one is up. I think to line edits now and book number two has just been sent off to be read. So much, much excitement and many good things coming on that front. Excellent. Well, let's talk about some of the news tidbits that you've put in. I was thinking about calling them tidbits with trumpets, but then we'd need like a jingle. So I've decided to can that. Uh, one of your news items, though, coincides with a comment I got on Twitter from units at unit Z, which said, should F1 be worried that Formula E is going free to air via YouTube for UK, YouTube, uh, for UK viewers next year? And should F1 start to open up to more live streaming services? I'm very worried actually, about the state of what Formula One is going to be viewer-wise in the UK next season. It's going to be really interesting whether people just switch off to Formula One, whether they accept that they're just going to watch the highlights, or whether they start pouring money into Sky TV, which is, of course, the whole point of Sky doing that. Uh, But you've got some uh, YouTube figures there in the notes. Yes, well, as I'm sure all of our listeners will be aware, on Friday, Formula One decided to in honor, I guess, of Lewis Hamilton's winning the championship, rerun his winning race from 2008 on YouTube as a live thing. And they left it up for a while. But this was not something that had much, I guess, lead time to it. And according to the F1 Broadcasting blog, which is at F1 Broadcasting, it was on Friday afternoon for a while, the most watched live stream on YouTube. At one point, they had 30,000 viewers another 9,000 on Facebook. And that's basically with no publicity and no lead time whatsoever. So this suddenly becomes a new thing that Formula One can do, and perhaps they will do so over the winter, that looks to be an avenue that old Formula One, non-Liberty Formula One, would never have bothered with. So that to me was actually really great news, both for Liberty and for Formula One, because it demonstrates there is an audience there. They can bring people to YouTube and they can find people there. But you can't ever see them going down the Formula E model where they just go, right, let's just let's make the races free everywhere, free to air in some way, either by giving it to a national broadcaster or by putting it on YouTube and then we'll generate revenue in another way. I don't think this is something that they will, even if something they wanted to do, I don't really see them being able to do that right now because of the complicated nature of the legacy broadcasting contracts they have to deal with. As is, at least over here where it's a permissible thing, certainly I find their yearly subscription to the F1 app with the live video to be a a reasonable in-between. Like it's not too expensive for what you get, but you don't get nearly the breadth and depth. Yeah, well, hang on a minute. We don't understand what you get with the F1 app. If I subscribe to the F1 app, 
I get mm-hmm. the live timings and I think some access to some old videos. What is it you get? I get to watch all sessions in real time. Oh. Video and audio from Sky. And if I use the app, I can also, on like a separate device, then I can also listen to Five Live and get the live timings as well. Wow. And how much is that? Ooh, I'd have to go look. I want to say it was around 100 bucks for the season, maybe a little bit more. Yeah. 100, well, 120, somewhere in there. So, you know, reasonable for an entire year subscription. Well, we'll see. I think I'll, I'll run a poll and uh, I'll find out from our listeners whether they are going to settle for highlights, stop watching, or 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 nick it. <laughs> I think a lot of people are just going to nick it, Matt. Yeah, well, I, I think you're probably right. Um, the people who can afford it will pay for the subscriptions, though, until or unless they feel like they're being taken advantage of or they're not getting what they pay for. And I worry with Sky. Um, the thing, the thing that I would bring up is the GP2 races where they will delay the start of the GP2 race, their coverage of it, not the actual start, because it's going to start when it starts, and instead run some pre-planned program like halfway into the race. And I've seen people infuriated by that. People subscribe to Formula One racing because they want to see racing. It's not the, the shows are extra nice things. All the produced bits around it is fine. But you better be there for the actual racing when it happens because that's the only reason to pay for a sports channel. Otherwise, you just watch it some other time online or some other source. (laughs) There's there's a lot of hashtag Nick it in the chat room. But a lot of people will turn to piracy and it's not always a bad thing. For example, Game of Thrones takes great pride in the fact that it is the most pirated TV series of all time, I think. Uh, Now, I know Gene Z is a, a big fanboy of sky tv and yes of course they do a good professional service but i was one of those people that was that that was very angry about it being removed from free to air and i'm looking best case scenario taking advantage of the deals jeansy 40 quid a month i think is the best deal i found for just tv and that is literally the only thing i will watch is the formula one races so i'm paying about you know 20 quid a race at best but you're a big fan of of the whole package, aren't you? For balance, I'm a big fan of the whole package of Sky because I've I'm lucky. I've had Sky most of my life. Posh um, kids, you know. When well, <laughs> no, I'm not going to go into a family story. But yeah, I've had I've had Sky for most of my life, and it's one of those things that I never want to get rid of. And I've I've always said when it comes to certain things, if all of a sudden things got even tighter for me money wise, the two things I would keep. One is a cleaner who I have come once every other week, who I pay twenty pounds to. Lazy. And the other one, and the other one is my Sky because I'd rather sit bored. So I'd rather sit in a, in a in a clean house watching telly, and that's the way I put it. I prioritise my telly quite highly. I've got kids, so they watch a lot of the kids channels and the movies and all this kind of stuff. But as far as the Sky Sports package goes, it's phenomenal. I mean, I've got I've got the whole sports package because that was the best deal they gave me when I originally just had the F one channel. Um, but no, I won't. Um, I won't be deviating from Sky. I think they do a fantastic job, and I love Crofty. I've met Crofty, and he's a lovely bloke, and I really like him. As do does everybody at Missed Apex Podcast. Sorry about the whole thing last month. Um, and also, I will say though, it's a shame to lose Channel Four coverage. I think they've done a fantastic job this year. Let's get into things that we're not going to agree about because. On the Missed Apex panel, we have had numerous arguments about the relative merits of IndyCar and 
Formula One. Now, two things is happening. Ericsson is going to IndyCar, Matt. And also, did I see somewhere that the IndyCars are having an event at Kota as well? So we'll get a direct comparison. Yes, they are. They are having an event. They are having a race at Coda, I believe, next season. I don't know when it is, but they are going to race there, and they're going to race on the full Grand Prix circuit. So, yeah, you will be able to compare lap times and the actual competitiveness of the racing between the two series, if that's something that you like to do. And I would highly encourage everyone to check out an IndyCar road race. I realize that the ovals can be a bit specialized for people who aren't used to watching them. But the road races, Detroit's another good one, can be pretty fierce and definitely worth a look if you like good racing. Okay, so as someone who doesn't follow IndyCar, I am generally informed by people around me who are into motorsport that overall, the driver quality or the driver competition, although high, isn't up to Formula One. So I am given the impression that generally if you took a spread of 10 drivers from Formula One and put them in IndyCar, and you did the reverse IndyCar to F1, generally the Formula One drivers would do better in IndyCar than the Indy drivers would do in F1. Are you going to tell me I'm wrong? And the counter will go to Gene Z because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to click to the scene on the live stream where I'm not in it and run away. Uh, well, of course, I'll tell you you're wrong, because otherwise we wouldn't have a show. But you're also kind of right in the sense that technologically speaking, IndyCar is a simpler series than Formula One. So I think it goes without stating that if you were to take someone entirely foreign to Formula One, no matter how talented they were, stick them in a car with almost no testing. Yeah, they are not going to do as well in their first season than going the reverse direction. I think Ericsson is going to be very interesting to watch. Um, he's going to Schmidt uh, Peterson Motorsports, uh, although he's not taking uh, Robert Wicken's place, for those of you who follow IndyCar. This is his own car he's got there. But he'll offer a nice comparison. He has scored points. He's stuck around a long time. Uh, people like Will Buxton say, as a driver, he has been underrated in terms of his talent. So I'm very curious to see what kind of numbers and how he gets on. We've seen other people go to IndyCar, I think Juan Pablo being the best example, and do very, very well. But then we've also seen people like Gutierrez and Chilton and so on and so forth go and make just about the same impact in IndyCar that they did or you know lack thereof in, in Formula One. So IndyCar versus F1, here we go. Um Listen, it's one of those difficult situations where the elite in motorsport go to Formula One. That's it. And I'm pretty much certain if you put to any driver on that grid, if they could really go and end up in a decent team in Formula One instead of IndyCar, I think they'd be there in a heartbeat. Sebastian Bourdais was a prime example. He got given the opportunity to go to F1 from a, dom a, season, a, a series that he was dominating and he absolutely failed. But I am actually almost willing to put this conversation on pause to see how well Ericsson does. And if Ericsson is constant, if Ericsson is constantly running at the front or there or thereabouts and in for a championship shout, it kind of proves the point, really, doesn't it? Yeah. And there's I no C for him to go get in. I would be <laughs> delighted to see that because also uh, running in IndyCar is someone I rate very highly from Formula E, Felix Rosenqvist, who might actually have. I think 
what it takes to properly run at the front. But I say if you take the top five runners in IndyCar, they'd be there or thereabouts in Formula One. Okay. If you gave them if you gave them the car, you take somebody like Dixon. Name the top five that, that, so that the F1 fans know. Well, you take somebody like Scott Dixon, you stick him in. Ryan Hunter Ray. I would even go so far as to say Alexander Rossi at this point. You could take any of them, put them in Formula One, put them in a Mercedes, put them in a Ferrari, and and I, I give them a season, and I think they would be they would be there or thereabouts because at that at that end of the field, um, there's not that much difference. Formula One is faster, but the wheel to wheel aspect of it is much fiercer in IndyCar. Rossi is good enough to maybe be on the grid but he's not going to be near the front and i think that's the best they've got montoya nearly won the championship as an old as, as an old man mansell won the championship as an old man and that's what i mean i just and you talk about the wheel to wheel it's precision for that stuff he's driving around in circles at 300 miles, 230, 50 miles an hour, whatever it is. I'm not the most educated person when it comes to IndyCar, and do the look on your face, Matt, tells me I know this. But I just don't think there is the same level of skill. I think if you put them on the road courses with the Formula One drivers, they would walk away. Uh, Matt, in the debates we've had offline, we have said, for example, like you've said, old Chilton, and, you know, the F1-centric of us have gone, oh, come on, give us a chance. He seems like a very nice lad, but l- let's not have a- a Chilton as the champion of F1 in IndyCar. I agree with Alex. Marcus Ericsson, he, as much uh, jip as we've given him as an F1 driver, he's still a quick lad. Would you be happy if we are happy to use that as a marker when he goes across? Still very much in the prime of his career, if you like. That's this is a very fair comparison. I think how he does will be a very interesting for all of us to see. But if you're asking top drivers, top drivers is going to be um, Scott Dixon. <laughs> yeah, Ericsson and gets a season one, to settle in though, right? Will power Scott Dixon. That, that those are the guys who would be successful in Formula One too. And and yeah, I wouldn't bring Owls into it because it's an entirely different skill. Okay, but we're going to give Ericsson a season to get in, aren't we? Because you wanted that for for your guys coming over. Uh, let's um let's go on a little bit because Robin Fisher got in touch on Twitter at Spanners Ready at Missed Apex F One at Matt PT Fifty Five and at Alex Van Jean, who points out that there is going to be a car swap between Fernando Alonso and Jimmy Johnson. I don't know Jimmy Johnson, so I'm going to go over to you, Matt. However, it was a lot of fun when is it Tony Stewart and Lewis Hamilton swapped between a NASCAR and a McLaren F1. Yes, this is this is a thing that they like to do every so often. Um and and Jimmy Johnson is a very highly rated and quite successful NASCAR driver. So I think everyone's very much looking forward to it, um getting into entirely different kinds of cars and seeing what sort of havoc they can wreak around the circuit. Did you see the uh the Tony Stewart one? Not live, but they they did they made a commercial out of it. It was good fun. As, as I re- yeah, it was good. Fun. I think they both had a good time, but I don't think there was any pretense that the driving standards matched up. And I don't think they're going to do that this time, are they? Well, I, I I don't know exactly what they have plans, but but no. Again, Formula One is such a specific thing 
that if you've been doing it your whole life, you naturally have a huge advantage because there's what about a million twiddle dials to be turned at every corner. Yeah. Twiddle dials. I like that. We've had here, I think a taste of what we're going to be doing over the winter. We're going to be exploring a lot of subjects, top tens, uh, uh, driver comparisons. We're going to be looking back a lot at this season, looking forward a lot to the next season. A lot of podcasts do shut down over the winter and say, no, no, we're just going to cover the races. We keep you occupied all through the winter talking F1 and we never see it as a drag. We never sit there and go, oh, there's nothing to talk about. When will testing start? Obviously, we're looking forward to the new Formula One season, but for us, it's an opportunity to actually spread our wings a little bit, isn't it, Matt? And talk about things without the restriction of a, a title fight or a, a full race season driving the content. Yeah, no, it, it always is. And I think that's that's what has set us apart and, and where we have gained many of our loyal followers and listeners yeah. or not so loyal or people <laughs> who like to just yell at us for being stupid and wrong all the time. But that's time. good. I like that. <laughs> it's funny. It is. Yeah, definitely. The winter has been um, a great time for us to improve on a personal level as a show level and also to bring in people who are looking for F1 content over the winter. If you are someone who does tune out from Formula One podcasts, then the the greatest gift you could give us is to stay subscribed to us between the end of the season and the next season. Uh, and then that means that we definitely won't lose you when the next season pops up. All right, then. We're not into the winter yet, though, are we, Matt? Because there are still things to fight for. How seriously are Mercedes and Ferrari taking this constructors' fight? And why aren't Mercedes using their new fancy wheel drum? I know Ferrari kicked up a bit of a stink about it, but surely that's all done with now. For for these next two races, they're going to have super wheel drums with spikes on the side and everything so they can go wheel-to-wheel Mad Max Fury Road style. Yeah, well, it's an interesting um, thing. Uh, We found out after the race that Mercedes once again chose not to run their super trick, amazing, keep the tires a correct temperature wheel drums. It may or may not also be an aerodynamic movable device, according to at least Ferrari, if nobody else, where Bonato may or may not be leaving if you believe Arriva Benet or not. Sorry, did I get that all in in 60 seconds? I hope so, fans of the 60 second thing. Yeah, no, we don't know why they didn't run it, but likely because they didn't want to deal with the protest, which, as the stewards pointed out, even though we're making this decision, stewards' decisions like this are still open to protest. But the problem that Toto Wolf said they had in Mexico wasn't the rears, although if you look at a picture of their rears, they did not look healthy, but the, the front of the car was where they suffered their tire woes, and they were woeful indeed. They were basically, they basically swapped places with Red Bull if you look at race pace. And yeah, ouch, going to be interesting to see if they figure that out for Brazil, where the weather can also be less than helpful to them at times. Do we know the maths? The maths of... Sorry, let me put it in American. Do we know the math of the World Constructors Championship? I believe, I am reliably informed, that Mercedes only have to stay in total within 11 points of Ferrari in Interlagos. So... Whatever Ferrari score, Mercedes have to score that minus 11 at least, and they are world constructors champions. See, I thought you were talking about the maths of the wheel drums, and I was going to say, oh, I no. know Ferrari has a new 1,400-hole brake disc that they are running. No, I can tell you more about that. That's in, that, is insanely, is- that is insanely boring, and we save that for a specific 
show tech time with you and matthew summerfield at summers f1 so that can be penned off in its own little void of just tech blandness uh or i mean i don't understand the wheel so i don't want to hear it yeah anyway um no i believe the i believe the spread right now is 55 um obviously you get 43 points if you take first and second so uh, even finishing third and fourth there's not really an easy way for Ferrari to come back in these last two races unless there's mechanical failure or accident involved. But it's not over, technically. Yeah. Chatroom says it's 13 points that they need to not be outscored by in order to yeah. win the title. So how do we think that race is going to go in Brazil, Jeansy? Are you willing to put your racing expertise on the line and make a prediction for basically the whole grid all the events lap by lap go do the race review now using your savant powers okay if it's dry um i think we'll see a ferrari win um and it will be sebastian if it's wet i think of course it will be lewis followed closely ish by max as long as they don't put in put in the wall um but i think with I think Brazil, coming from my point of view, which everyone knows is a Lewis Hamilton point of view, <laughs> um, Brazil has not been the greatest of hunting grounds as far as victories go for Lewis Hamilton. So, um, no, I think I think we'll see um, Ferrari win this one with Seb, and Lewis might be second, and Kimi will be third. I agree, and I'm not willing to put my put my uh, what do you call it my credentials on the line here in this format however stay tuned because me and matt have a little more time together now to spend arm in arm recreating moves from strictly come dancing but also to record some prediction shows and a little bit of extra content some that will go on the main feed some that will be just for our patreon backers at www.patreon.com forward slash missed apex alex jeansy van jean thank you for joining us today where can people get in a go-kart and actually compete with you soon. So uh, to compete with me, it's a series called Cough Cart Sport, which is a great little sport, great little um, uh, karting club uh, based on do a national karting series around the country. And next weekend on Sunday is our final round at Red Lodge. We've even waived the five pound members, um, five pound guest fee. So it's 60 quid for 45 minutes on track. Really good, close, tight racing, good fun. Everyone gets on really, really well. Um, and then next year, we're going to have a rather big explosion of extra people on the track. So um, I'm racing. Um, Stephen Williams, who who who's part of Missed Apex races, and a couple of the guys who've been to some of the Missed Apex events are coming as well. So if you want to get, if you want to come down, go to covcartsport.co.uk, click on the race entry thing, and click race entry. Stick your name in and you come and come and race against us. And people and, can um, find you online by doing what? Find me online at Alex Van Jean. I'm doing a lot more on Twitter at the moment. I'm showing doing quite a bit about my running on Twitter. So if you don't want to get bored by that, don't bother. But I do like people following me. Um, so please, I want to get my numbers up. So if you want to, at Alex Van Jean on Twitter. Very exciting. And if you are into Missed Apex karting and you enjoyed our Missed Apex live event or were gutted that you missed out and didn't, uh, get one of these fancy t-shirts or fancy shirts if you're one of the panel because Jeansy decided to go to a barbecue instead of coming along. Otherwise, he'd be here with the red M on his chest right now. 
I am a bit jealous. That's why I stumbled at the beginning of that bit talking about me because Spanner was too busy talking at his breast. Um, <laughs> but um, but yeah, no, I, I definitely will be at whatever the next map event is and I will come down and I will be getting myself one of those shirts. <laughs> and and we'll, I think we'll make them available as well. But what Mist Apex is planning on doing next season is having a four-race series, if you like, the details to follow. But we are looking from March to September to have four karting events that you can turn up to, accumulate points over the season, and hopefully have a great time and do some live podcast recordings from them. Obviously, we can't ship Matt in for all of them, so we're going to have to get one of those robots with an iPad face where Matt's face can just appear on it. That's not acceptable. Everyone get your wallets out and... (laughs) Pay for another ticket for Matt to come across. Come on, we can do it. Matt, you can be followed, can't you, at MattPT55. Anywhere else? Um, yeah, I'm on Facebook at as Matt Trumpets, I believe, and on Instagram as well, at MattPT55. But most of my talking is done on the Twitters, yes. Oh, Instagram. I had a bit of a dad moment. So if you've sent me a message on Instagram... I'm not ignoring you. I just didn't know Instagram did messages. I briefly discovered it. And then in like just the most bizarre dad moment, I cannot now recreate whatever button combination is required. So I can't get back to those messages, but I I definitely will do. Uh, You can follow me online at Spanners Ready on Facebook. Feel free to friend me there. Also, you can follow my radio antics by going to at Spanners BBC, I think, on Twitter. And if you follow BBC Radio Cambridgeshire as well online, you can search Spanners on on the BBC site. And you can catch up with my latest show, which was on the 3rd of November, which was quite cool, I think. I think I did a reasonable job and sounded quite spannery now that I've figured out how to press all the buttons. Join us for the Brazilian Grand Prix race review. I think we're going to do that on the Monday evening. Until next time, remember that wounds heal, chicks dig scars, and glory last forever. This was Mistake Next. And I forgot to say that tomorrow, Monday, we will be doing a daytime live stream with Joe Saywood. So you can catch us live at 1pm UK time, or you can catch that on your feed. A daytime show with Joe, my goodness. I wonder what Joe's like in the daytime. And of course, Matt, he's looking at me with those eyes as if, as if I would ever forget a whole segment of our show that I really, really love. Actually, I'm a little bit insulted the way he's looking at me, all judging me. I haven't forgotten at all. I just decided that we should do it once the show is completely over. Uh, hey, Matt, who is the winner of this week's... Comment of the week. I don't know why I forget. It's like a disease. Yeah, I was actually raising my hand about something else. But since you ask... Go on, since then. Since you ask... I'm going to roll back to the top, uh, where apparently my grumpiness uh, prompted Warren M. to say, thanks, Kimmy. I mean, Matt. Right. Uh, this, no, no, that needs explanation, because the chat room were all like, oh, yeah, Matt's all, like, happy or whatever. And I'm like, no, before the show starts, Matt is the grumpiest old curmudgeon in history. The second I click stop, it's all moaning and complaining, yet people still think, like, I'm the irate one and he's all happy. It's a lie. Uh, yes, you can compare hours and hours of video evidence and decide for yourself, sports fans. To be fair, to be fair, Spanners, you're just as miserable throughout the day anyway. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> God, if these people could see our, our WhatsApp chat. <laughs> I think I'm going to have to chuck Sarah in there, too, for Grumpet. Sounds like a tea time snack, apparently. This is also a nickname I've now earned. Christopher Fonseca in with uh, Surtees would have been the goat if he won the Triple Crown, but he didn't, so he isn't. Uh, top five being Graham Hill, Alonzo Montoya, Triple Crown being the criteria, because we know that Spanners loves that. I think, he's tr- I think that that... That is not a genuine comment. I think he's trying to trigger me. He succeeded. Well done. All right. Uh, Nurepin is in with Gasho, Stroll, Erickson, Manor, British, Rich Guy, and Bador for his top five. Uh, Will McAlpine uh, is in with Alex. Does look like a slightly balding Daniel Ricciardo. Harsh. That is body shaming. I do not approve of that. Uh, Ray Thompson. Right, he's banned. In- he's got to go. Done. <laughs> uh, time out. Time Unsubscribe. Out. Get out. Um, Ray Thompson is in with at the end of show music. Someone needs to add meow man sound effects, which I think could be very effective. Um, but I believe where did we go? The winner is going to have to be EMH twenty two twelve for hashtag purloin it. Explain why that's funny. Oh gosh, I have to do that too. Yeah. Um, well, because we were talking about uh, the loss of free to air and how people might possibly react to that. And he had several good ones, but I'm picking that as the winner. Purloin it. I'm not intelligent enough to find yeah, that. I, yeah, I mean either. All right, fine. How about we go with uh, trumpets? How could you imagine that Spanners would ask a follow-up question about tires? <laughs> Who did that? That was also EMH2212. Like I said, uh, he had multiple multiple uh, lottery tickets today. Well, I think that his multiple nominations flatter him. Do you put EMH in your top five commenters? Well, you can't take away this one. He wins. Comment of the week. We're out. But unlike previous Sundays, when we're out, I don't have to get up for work tomorrow. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to health care, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 